Well, hello, brothers. I am so encouraged by those of you that have committed to this year-long study through the Gospel of Matthew. And I would have to say that I'm, I'm personally excited about doing this, this deep dive into the life of Christ and, and really understanding more about Jesus Christ. It reminds me of one of my favorite pastor stories. I call them pastor stories. You know the stories that a lot of pastors tell, the same story, so it probably isn't true, but it's a helpful illustration. One of my favorite pastor stories uh, has to do with the children's sermon. And the pastor is giving the children's sermon, and he, he invites all the kids up there in the front, and he says, all right, kids, I want you to put your thinking caps on. Um, I want you to guess something. And the pastor proceeds to say, what is um, cute and little and furry and loves to climb trees and has a big bushy tail and collects acorns uh, in the winter? And all the hands go up and he points to one little boy and the little boy looks at him kind of quizzically and says, well, um, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm pretty sure the answer is Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the truth? Usually the children's sermon, no matter what it is, it's about Jesus. Well, that's right. That's what it should be. And let me tell you, brothers, the Gospel of Matthew is about Jesus. Um, in fact, I would say the answer that you and I need as men, the, the answer to our needs, the answer to our purpose in life, the answer to our mission in life, the answer is Jesus and as I asked our congregation this past Sunday in, uh, in the sermon on Sunday morning, I think a good question for us as we go into 2021 is, is, is simply this. How well do I know Jesus? Not, not, not again the, the Jesus that I've fabricated in my mind or taken bits and pieces from my experience uh, in the church or even studying my Bible. Um, and again, some of those things are good because they're founded in Scripture and they're right. But other of those things, we've kind of projected out and sat around our dinner tables and said, well, I think Jesus is like this. And, and maybe that's correct, but maybe it's not. We need to know the Jesus, not that we've thought we wanted him to be, but the Jesus as he's revealed uh, in Scripture. And so, before we even dive into the text uh, to begin our study uh, today, um, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord and ask Him to teach us about His Son. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank You for the great privilege that we have to sit um, uh, as men, as brothers, uh, under Your Word. And we would ask, Heavenly Father, that You would speak to us, that by the power of Your Spirit, even amidst this... Uh, um, virtual Bible study, as it were, Father, that um, your Holy Spirit will work powerfully in our lives, in our small groups, um, Lord, in our families. Um, would you please teach us about Jesus? We want to know him as he has been revealed uh, in your Holy Word. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers, uh, you say, see there in your notes, uh, we begin with an introduction to Matthew. And I'm not going to give a full introduction. I would say this. Um, I would highly recommend that you pick up this commentary called Let's Study Matthew by Mark Ross. 
Uh, this is an excellent uh, commentary uh, to go through uh, the book of Matthew this year, um, and it's done very pastorally. I, Mark Ross, who is a longtime teaching pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, good friend of George and uh, someone whom I've spent some time with as well, uh, does an excellent job of not just getting us to understand the Word better, but understand it for our lives. And uh, King, uh, in our bookstore, our, the bookmark will have that, he said, probably next week. So you can pick that up there or you can pick it up on, on Amazon. Um, but in looking at the introduction that Mark Ross gives there, uh, there's some things that I think would be helpful even as we begin uh, today to look at chapter 1. And I think this is all framed up in, in this important point, and that is there is an intentionality in the way that Matthew has constructed this gospel account. Um, and I know it says, uh, you know, in the titles, the gospel according to Matthew, as if the gospel according to Luke or the gospel according to John were some kind of different gospel. Uh, we know that this is God's inspired word. And so even as God uh, chose to use human authors and use their personalities um, and their intentionalities, we know from God's word that they were carried along by the spirit, that they, they spoke as as men who are speaking the very words of God. And the Holy Spirit supernaturally worked in such a way that the intentions of Matthew ultimately were the intentions of the Holy Spirit. So in this intentionality, there's some things I think it's important for us to recognize in the Gospel of Matthew. I think it's important to recognize that this is not simply a biography of the life of Christ. Um, but as Mark Ross puts it, or Dr. Ross puts it, it is, a, it is better better said that it's a, a literary portrait of the words and deeds of Jesus in order that we might have a better understanding for our salvation. It's not simply telling uh, the biography, the story of Christ. Um, it's telling the things we need to know about Christ in order for us to be saved. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew in particular was written primarily to, Jew, to Jews. He had Jewish uh, readers in his mind that he was intending to receive this word. And so he was thinking with that mindset. And so, as Dr. Ross puts it, this really is the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, really is a, a doorway into the New Testament from the Old Testament. Um, and we know that there are many scholars who believe that this was the very first gospel written. Uh, certainly, it's the first gospel in our New Testament. It's placed there right next to the Old Testament. And there's a, there is so much of the Old Testament quoted in the Gospel of Matthew. Again, this was the intention of Matthew to connect it to the Old Testament for it really to be, again, um, like was said before, a doorway from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And, and thirdly, I think you're going to see is that over and over again, the theme of Jesus being king over all, including the Gentiles. And that's going to be a big point that comes up because while it's written to Jewish readers, um, they're having to receive this truth that God intends to not just be, uh, Jesus intends not to just be king of the Jews, but king over everyone, over all, uh, and that he is ushering in his kingdom. Well, with that in mind, and knowing that that was the intention of, um, 
of Matthew as he wrote his gospel. Let's go ahead and read these 25 verses of chapter 1. I am going to read the genealogy. And for those of you who didn't, uh, weren't with us when we studied Genesis this last year and a half, um, let me just uh, get you excited. There's actually so many great things in the genealogies, and, and sometimes we breeze over them and miss um, some of the, the, the richness of Scripture. Again, Matthew was intentional in giving us this genealogy, and we need to know why. So, let's read, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the, ba uh, the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathon, and Mathon the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Actually, this is the gospel of Christ. Praise be to Christ. 
You see in their notes, in your notes, that we've divided this passage up into two sections. First, having to do with the genealogy, and second, having to do um, with, with the birth of Jesus, and particularly Joseph's experience of this whole thing. And I want us to see, first of all, in verses 1 through 17, that Matthew is pointing out that, that Jesus Christ is fulfilling salvation history. He's wanting to, to, to root Christ into um, uh, the history of Israel, and that is salvation history. Now, we learned when we studied uh, the book of uh, Genesis how important uh, genealogies were to the Jews. Not, not very important to us, but they were important to the Jews. And the importance of this, uh, Matthew's showing us this salvation history. This is, as Dr. Ross puts it, or I think Sinclair Ferguson puts it, a, a resume of salvation history. It's a, a picture of God's faithfulness, even as it, it goes beyond um, the Babylon captivity and showing that God never gave up on his people. And you'll notice the opening phrase. It says there, the book of the genealogy. Um, that phrase in Greek, in a Greek Old Testament, would be the exact same phrase that you'd find near the beginning of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 is the first time that that's used. And there it's translated, these are the generations of. And actually, you'll find that statement ten times in Genesis. These are the generations of. These are the generations of. And the point of this that Matthew's trying to make is, hey, God is doing a new thing. God is about to, 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 to recreate, to do something like he did in Genesis. So this salvation history is coming uh, to a point. And then he goes on basically to give three very important names uh, to Jesus. He, he calls him the, the anointed one or the Christ. You see uh, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ was not a, a name um, of Jesus. It was, a, it was a title and it meant anointed one. So he gives him three names, the anointed one, the son of Abraham, and the son of David. And let's look through those. Uh, as we as we go through this this genealogy, first of all, in verse one, he calls him Jesus Christ, Christ being the anointed one, or as the Old Testament put it, put it, the Messiah. This is the one. Matthew is saying this is the one. Jesus, right from the get go, he's saying Jesus. This Jesus is the one that the whole Old Testament was always pointing to. Remember, he's speaking to Jews, and he wants them to know right off the bat. This Jesus is the Messiah. The, and, and as we begin this new thing, this is a fulfillment of salvation history. He's the anointed one. Secondly, he says, uh, well, he, he, he says it thirdly, son of Abraham. But when he does the genealogy, he actually starts with Abraham. And there are verses 2 through 5. Um, he gives the lineage of Abraham. And you see there, as you look at those names, that the, the names of the patriarchs are listed. And you see a whole lot of Genesis uh, in those verses. These were, uh, as we studied, the men of the promise. And what was that promise? Well, I think it's important for us to go to that. So turn in your Bibles back to Genesis. And let's go to Genesis chapter 22. 
And in Genesis 22, this is the story when God tells Abraham that he needs to take Isaac and sacrifice his one and only son. And God is about to teach Abraham something uh, about who God is as provider and what God and foreshadows what God will eventually do with his own son, Jesus Christ. But after this event, when, when Abraham trusts God, puts his faith in God's promise, and God provides a lamb that is not Isaac um, to be, uh, or actually a ram, to be uh, sacrificed in place of Isaac. Notice what God says uh, to um, Abraham, verse 15 of chapter 22. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. This is a, uh, a reference to what took place in Genesis 15. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and of the sand as, as the sand of the seashore. And your offspring, and now it's it's singular, not plural, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring, this is singular, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. God says to Abraham, in your offspring, singular, in your seed, and this is pointed out by Paul in Galatians chapter 3, all the nations of the, of the earth will be blessed. Matthew is picking up on that by showing Christ to be in the line of the patriarch. He is saying Jesus fulfills the promise of Genesis chapter 22. And then thirdly, he lists him as the, he, he's, he gives his name as the son of David. And you see there in, in verses 6 through 17, you see that he goes ahead and lists now a kingly line. He, he names the kings from David on down, and he shows that Jesus is a descendant of David. But here he's also speaking to the promise that was given David, and we need to look at that promise. So turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is a place at which um, the Lord makes a covenant with David. And here's what he says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning at verse 12. God says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for your offspring after you, and you, excuse me, and I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jeremiah speaks about this as well. But what Matthew is saying here in this moment is that Jesus is that king that David was promised, the son that David was promised who would be king forever. Jesus is that king. So he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah of the Old Testament. He is the son of Abraham, the fulfillment of the covenant made to Abraham. He is the son of David. He is the king who will reign forever in the line of David. 
before we leave this fulfilling of salvation history, I want you to notice just a couple, uh, three other things. I want you to notice, first of all, some of the characters that are here in this genealogy. Um, in particular, we could look at a lot of different, but there's some shady characters here. And it's interesting to note that while most genealogies do not, uh, Jewish genealogies do not mention women, this genealogy does. It mentions four women. And of these four women, uh, three of them are, are Gentiles. One of them is a, a Moabite woman. So you see there Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. <coughs> and one of them was actually married to a Gentile, the wife of Uriah, who, remember, that was the Hittite. That was the one whom David put to death. The wife of Uriah is Bathsheba. And again, as you, as you look and you know the story of Tamar and you know the story of Bathsheba and you think to yourself, man, these are some pretty shady characters here. And we could go to some of the men and we find even uh, more shadiness going on. Um, well, what is Matthew pointing out? Not only, not only is he grounding uh, Jesus in salvation history, in the history of the Old Testament, but he's helping us understand some of the humanity, the identifying with humanity that God does. Um, when it speaks in Hebrews chapter 11 that, that Jesus did not, um, did, not, did not feel shame to call us brothers, to unite with us, um, we certainly see this in this genealogy, don't we? I mean, we see the brokenness and sinfulness of man, and God is going to do something in and through that, even as he brings about a redemption. It's also interesting to note um, that, that Matthew makes a point of the kings of the descendants before Babylon, the deport, deportation, deportation into Babylon, and after the deportation into Babylon. And I think what Matthew is doing here is showing the faithfulness of God. Because the Jewish people thought things pretty much ended when they were deported to Babylon. And everything, nothing ever really got restarted in a significant way. And yet Matthew's saying, no, no, God had a plan all along. And this is what the plan was. God was faithful even when you felt like he's been silent. And the last thing I want us to just notice is that verse 17 where Matthew's making this point that there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, and then 14 from David to the deportation, and then 14 from the return from Babylon to Christ. Um, well, if you do any deep studying of this, you realize that um, Matthew does leave out some names, that there were more than 14 generations in those divisions, actually. Um, and even what's listed, two of, two of these groupings only have 13 generations. So what's Matthew saying? Remember, he's being intentional, and this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't accidental. He's trying to make a point, and his, his point seems to be centered around this idea of 14, the number 14. The number seven was a significant number in, um, uh, in Jewish literature. It meant uh, fullness, fulfillment. Um, and there are some scholars that would say uh, what David is, or what Matthew is wanting to point out here is that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment um, of, of all of these promises of this whole salvation history. It's also, some scholars point out, it's interesting to note that um, the, uh, 
old, uh, excuse me, the Jewish, the Hebrew language, they would assign numbers to letters. And so David's name would have been just DWD, uh, which would have been assigned number, uh, number four, a number six, and a number four, which adds up to 14. And some scholars say maybe Matthew is uh, just wanting to emphasize uh, he is the son of David. He is the king in David's line. We're not exactly sure. But we know Matthew is being intentional about making sure we understand that, uh, that there was an intentionality about what God was doing in um, his salvation history. And now we turn to um, the last verses there in Matthew, verses 18 uh, through 25. And here we see um, Jesus Christ invading human history. And you know, when I read this, um, my initial thought always, always has been, man, that was really, that was a tough road for Joseph to have to go down, wasn't it? Uh, you know, it points out in verse 13 that, that David, uh, excuse me, that Joseph was a just man, meaning he was a, he was a righteous guy. He was just a good guy. He was a man of integrity. Um, he was not a shady character. Uh, and so here is a good guy trying to do the right things, and he's engaged to Mary, and he finds out, maybe from another relative, maybe, maybe he ends up seeing her one day and realizes, okay, she's for sure pregnant, and the rumors are true. And he's trying to figure out what to do with that in order to not shame her. But man, his, his life has been rattled by this um, because... You know, it seems like his wife has slept with someone else and, and you know, this isn't going to work out. And so he's, again, a good guy trying to figure out what to do about this. And then, and then an angel comes and gives him, gives him the story, tells him what the deal is. And, uh, and even then, man, that's tough too. Okay, uh, you know, your wife is uh, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and um, the Messiah is going to be born to your family, and you not you got to deal with that now, Joseph. I mean, this is a this is an invasion into Joseph's life, and Joseph would never be the same because Christ had not only invaded human history, he was in, invading um, Joseph's plan for his life, Joseph's family, what he, what he had thought uh, things would be like for him. And again, here, like we did in the previous verses, I want to divide this up just into two parts, really centered around the two names that are given, uh, given Jesus. Um, the first is just simply the name, the name Jesus. Um, and I think it's important for us to recognize that Jesus wasn't a special name. I know many of you know that. Um, it was just the, the name in Hebrew, Yeshua, um, like Joshua. And there were a lot of boys named Yeshua. And sure, it, it does mean that, that God saves, but it was, a, it was just a pretty common name. And as Matthew points out here, um, and we'll get to the part where um, uh, he is conceived with the Holy Spirit, but he is born of a human woman. Uh, he takes on flesh, um, God incarnate. Um, but he takes on 
our whole human experience. And we're going to understand as we walk through the Gospel of Matthew more and more how Jesus Christ was fully man, 100% man. Now, he was also 100% God. We'll get to that. But he was 100% man also. Um, he, he took on our flesh. He was going to fully experience our humanity. He, he was united with us as human beings. Even now, brothers, even now in heaven, when he humbled himself to take on human flesh, uh, to be the, the common person called Jesus, called Yeshua, just like so many other boys born into a, a, a poor, um, you know, Galilean Nazareth family. Um, he, he came in and identified with us completely. And when he did so, he did so forever. We know this from many places in Scripture, but just one place. You remember in Revelation when the, the Apostle John in his vision is, is weeping because there's no one worthy to open the scroll. And then someone says, oh, behold, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy to open the scroll, referring to Jesus Christ. And so John looks for a lion of the tribe of Judah, a king. And then he says... And behold, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. The marks, the scars we know from, from uh, the risen Christ's experience with Thomas, or I should say Thomas's experience with the risen Christ. Jesus still bears the scars of his, of his crucifixion. He, he, he still bears our humanity. He is Jesus. He invaded history by identifying with us. But he was also, as it see, we see there in this passage, Emmanuel. Matthew makes the point twice in these verses that Jesus, his conception or, or, or the, what took place in Mary was from the Holy Spirit, that there was not a human father, that um, Jesus Christ was uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary. Twice that, that his point is made. And this supernatural birth actually needs um, some supernatural proof, which is why the angel comes to Joseph and gives Joseph supernatural proof for the supernatural birth. Because Mary's saying, I, I, I didn't have any relations with uh, a man. And Joseph doesn't know what to do with that. That's supernatural. So an angel comes giving proof of that. This is a supernatural birth. This is God in the flesh. And if that were enough there, Matthew, uh, in verse 23, uh, quotes from Isaiah chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Oh, it's... One of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture. God with us. God has invaded human history. And yes, He's identified with our flesh, but He hasn't ceased to be God. And so He is fully man, but He is also fully God. 100% man and 100% God. And this is a mystery, brothers. I, I, we don't know how to explain this mystery. We can just... Um, 
see the mystery. We can't comprehend it in our minds. We can only apprehend it as God's Word has revealed it to us. What a fantastic mystery. As Matthew points out, God invading history, identifying with us, and yet God is with us. I'd like to end this, uh, this uh, study, this chapter, um, with these thoughts. As I've contemplated myself, uh, as I myself have contemplated um, these names of Christ and thought about Matthew uh, really wanting to proclaim um, the King, King Jesus, to introduce him as King and using the names Anointed One and Son of Abraham and Son of David and Jesus and Emmanuel, God with us, and thinking about the experience um, that Joseph had in the midst of this. And I thought about us as men. And, and one of the things that Sinclair Ferguson, the great Scottish preacher, points out um, as he speaks about uh, Joseph's experience has to do with Joseph's experience with the angel. You see, in Luke, when the description of the angel comes to, um, or the description of the angel coming to Mary, the angel says to Mary, don't be afraid. And what he's saying is, don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming on behalf of the Lord. But when he talks to Joseph, he tells Joseph, don't, don't be afraid of this invasion of Christ into your life into your marriage, into your family. Don't be afraid, the angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of the king invading your marriage, your life. And as Sinclair Ferguson points out, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting thought for us as men because can't we as men, can't that often be, isn't that often our fear? Isn't it often our fear to truly take Christ into our lives, to take all of Him, to actually surrender fully to this King, to surrender our work, our businesses to this King, to surrender our families to this King, to, to truly take Christ? Man, that can, that can cause a lot of fear. We wonder what, what that might mean. What might, what, might, what might the king do if I surrender fully to Jesus Christ? But know this, even from the words that are before us, speaking of Jesus as the one who will come to save his people from their sins. Brothers, be assured of this. We do not need to be afraid of this invading king into our lives. Because he's not a king that has come to destroy us. He's not a king that has come to ruin us. He's not a king that has come to take our joy or to make us miserable. No, he's a king that has come to save us. He's a king that has come to give us purpose in our lives. And so, brothers, let's not be afraid today and in this year. Let's not be afraid of the invasion of this king. Let's surrender fully. In fact, in this new year, let us recommit ourselves again to fully surrender everything that we are to the wonderful, benevolent invasion of this King. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for your word that you've given us. Thank you for speaking to us today. And do we do ask, Lord, that you would, you would take these things and seal them to our hearts. Um, as we begin this glorious study of your Son, and as we uh, understand more and more the King and the Kingdom, oh Father, help us to surrender. Help us to fully surrender. Help us uh, to, to be like Joseph and not be afraid to take Christ, to take Christ into our lives, into our marriages, into our families, and to let Him, the King, change everything about us. Father, we make this prayer in the name of the Anointed One, the Son of Abraham, the Son of David, Emmanuel, God with us. We make that prayer in the name of Jesus. And all God's men said, Amen. Thank you, brothers.